0: two, one, two, three, four. Hey y'all, this is Seba, the Southern Fried Witch and this is episode 21. Today I'd like to start with what's going on over here. We have been hatching baby chicks since Christmas Day. I've already gone over the fact that these are all different clutches, all different lays, and I had a thieving hen. Last Friday, I was able to successfully hatch the last one. We took em from the bad mama that was killing them all. Well, not all of them were. I had three mamas, and Miss Harriet, of course, was just Mother Tit incarnate and Sugar, while she even took one that accidentally fell from the nest above her. But Big Red stayed true to her name and murdered one of her babies and Attempted to kill another one on the way out of the door there and ate the ear part and half of the face of that little baby chick before I could get to it. However, I was able to save it. And my husband named it Scarface. Absolutely gorgeous little chicken. Of course, most farmers I talked to about this told me to go ahead and call Scarface. And what I mean is to kill Scarface, and I could not do it. As a type A, and as somebody who believes I can save almost anything, I always go ahead and try. And uh, I'm really glad I did. Scarface is the sweetest, is the prettiest. She's never going to have an ear on that side of her head. But she's one heck of a survivor, and a sure as shit lover. But as these were coming in waves, and they came from Monday to Friday of last weekend, one little guy, it's looking like he has what's known in chicken world as failure to thrive. And it's breaking my heart. I don't know how he knows that I care, but all he wants is to sit in my hand. And he will lay there and scream until I pick him up. My favorite gay farmer told me that I need to go ahead and call him out and let him go. It's been nearly a week. He's having real trouble. And instead of listening to reason, I'm carrying him around in my hand. Oh, I'm putting him down every now and again to see if he can walk. And he can a little. It's not looking good, y'all. It really isn't. It would be a miracle if this chick makes it. Now, the one that was suddenly born yesterday out of an egg that I thought was a dud and wouldn't let go, why well, she's doing just fine. She's 24 hours old and in there hanging with the best of them. You see, it's almost like gambling for me because sometimes a win and those tiny wins that happen every now and again, they'll keep me trying to fight for the life of somebody all the way to the bloody last day. But even I don't have a good feeling about this one. It doesn't mean I'm not going to try. I've separated him out and I've held him as long as I can. And I got worried about y'all because I wasn't able to do a podcast last week. What with the tornado weather and all. And I thought, well, I'll go ahead and and put you down and put you under a heat lamp. And he's screaming in my bedroom so I can do this. Y'all, I've got a problem. I just do not know when to lay down. I don't know that I've ever known how to lay down. Now, this could be, you know, I'm an Aries with a Libra moon. Can you even imagine this? But I also lived a really rough life. My friend used to call me the three-point shot girl. And that three-point shot, when it comes in, it's kind of magnificent. So I just don't know how to quit. I used to get into street fights when I was a little girl living on the roads and I would always get some kind of an honorable mention because I wouldn't lay down. Fight Club was my favorite movie. Y'all should also know that this is not intelligent. This leads me to multiple mistakes. And in this particular one I'm dealing with today, it's refusing to recognize failure to thrive. I see all the signs I know that chicken is not developing correctly. I know it can't stand or walk very long. And I know that what I'm doing has more than five or six Hail Marys and a couple of Hail Freas on it, if you know what I'm saying. It's just not in my nature to give up. And as I came in here to talk to y'all about that, I had a lot of things from my past weaving their way through my head and saying to me, Now that's how you fucked up with a lot of things, honey. From marriages to friends to students. All because once in a while you could save somebody. So you tried to save the whole bushel. You see, with failure to thrive in chicks, no matter how you keep that humidity, no matter how diligent you are being with that heat lamp, no matter how safe you've kept them, no matter... What you do, how much food you provide, droppers of water, they just won't do it on their own, y'all. They won't fight for their own life. They won't fight for their own growth. They are dependent upon something else. As a mama tit, I'm having a horrible time not holding this chick, and I probably will hold it all the way to its death. Because even though it doesn't want to fight for life... I want it to have a good death. And because I kind of feel like everything is everything, I have to wonder that if my experiences in teaching are aligning right now in my head about this lesson, how many of y'all have had these experiences with husbands or friends, people at work, anything like this? When my son was very young, he got into a whole lot of trouble and everyone had given up on him. You may hear a chicken tweet in the background. I've got a lot of baby chicks at my feet. I couldn't let it go. So I took every single dime I had, and I did one of those three-point shots on him. We ended up having to file for bankruptcy. I spent so much money saving his ass. And he is a responsible, happy, healthy, got-it-together dude now, and I can't even imagine if I'd given up on him. But not everybody's like that. And I think it all boils down to priorities, too. You know, I've had friends that I've had for eons. Younger friends that meant so much to me, I would give up a lot of my own peace to be there for them. I've had young friends who have gone forth with drug addiction, blowing up their world in every single category you can think about. And I supported them, and I held their hand, and sometimes if I held their hand tight enough, they do okay. They were able to think. They were able to be happy. They were able to have good lives. And then if I let go just a little bit, they fell right on their face, just like this little chicken. So right now, it's very hard for me to leave that little chick back there in that bathroom. But I figure, if it's alive when I finish this podcast... I'll give it another little hand-warming moment. He's got to fight for himself, just a little. Anything can't all be me. And I think it's about time I came out of the closet and told y'all a little bit more about my three ex-husbands. Y'all feel like getting personal today? Let's do this thing. So I was round about 18 years old, and I'd had a very rough life. And while I was not a drug addict, I was compelled to go to N.A. meetings. And there was this 24-year-old handsome man there, half Cherokee, long black hair. Oh, Lord, y'all, I do have a type. I'm 53 years old, and I can remember all the way back to that 18-year-old girl. And everything in my DNA said, I can save him. Anyhow, that's what I thought my DNA was saying. You know what it was really saying? That's the father of your oldest child. And what I should have done with him, and probably honestly with all three, is gotten pregnant and run. But instead, I stayed. He was addicted to all kinds of things. Second all, opiates, honestly anything he could get his hands on. He robbed a couple of um, pharmaceutical stores, and he stole scripts, and my young years as a teenager were fairly crazy. I didn't do those things. I didn't do those kinds of drugs with him. I was pregnant with a baby by the time I was 19, and I had my firstborn just a few days before I turned 20, and I stayed with him until I was roughly 23 and a half, almost 24. I used to know the exact number of bones he broke in my body but he broke my jaw a couple of times so it doesn't quite fit right. He broke several ribs and he punched me hard enough in the stomach to throw me in labor. What a guy. And the whole way down I kept saying to everybody I knew, I can save him. I just know I can. I was broken as a kid. I can save this person. Well, I couldn't. I ran away from him on a Christmas day, and I huddled out in the snow in the woods in North Alabama, yes, there was snow, with my baby daughter, until this older woman, who I worked with, because I was the sole provider for this family, came and found us by beeping her horn, and we got the hell out of there with shotgun shells popping off all around us, and that's how I escaped that one. And the next one was sweet as hell, just sugar on a stick, and I do mean really sweet. His heart was kind and good, and I had one beautiful, unbelievably comforting year with him. He loved my daughter, and my daughter loved him, and I do not think she has ever forgiven me for leaving. But about the time that our baby, a son, was 18 months old, My sweet, country, darling, beloved husband had gotten addicted to crack cocaine. I think at the time, the roughest thing I did was drink a wine cooler. Y'all remember wine coolers? Y'all old enough for that? And he begged me, throwing up one night on the floor, to leave him. He said that he did not have the strength to leave me, that he loved me too much, but that he wasn't going to change and that he knew he wasn't, and he didn't want his son or his stepdaughter to grow up in that kind of household. Now, that took real courage, and I'd fight anybody, and I'd punch y'all right in the neck if y'all told me that he wasn't a good man in that moment, because to me, that took some kind of selfless insight and sacrifice to say, run And he grieved. He signed over his house to me that he had bought himself and redone himself. It was an old canning factory in the war. And he never did get right. He's the one that I had to let go of last fall. I did a podcast about that. We did stay friends. He would call me from whatever hospital he was in. I thought I could save him. And then there was this burly man. He was... Mr. Alabama, back in the 90s, I'm not really into that, but ooh, he had this ponytail, y'all. And he was gorgeous, and my DNA did that thing again. My mother had come to see me, and someone had sugared her tank, and we had to go to an auto place, and while sitting there on the curb, he delivered a muffler And as he walked past me, he turned around and looked at me, and I looked at him, and I told my mother, I'm going to marry that man. And she should have known I was right. Y'all would be shocked to find out that I am still, in my life, always going to be a serial monogamist, and it's a disease. I married him. Hold on to your hat. Within three weeks, I was pregnant within a few months. He left me on a mountain on Christmas. I don't know what it is with fucking Christmas, y'all. With that baby in my belly. He took all my money out of my account. And I had to sell the house that my second husband had bought me to pay all the debt. I ended up without a car, without a heater, with no money, and broke on my butt in the projects. I considered suicide, and I know that's horrifying. I'm so sorry. That's real life. But now, none of these men ever were fathers to their babies. And I thought I could save each and every one of them from their demons, from the darkness inside of them. I was going to just love that right out of their cells, let it evaporate into the goddamn air. And y'all, it didn't work. What ended up happening was I got bled out. Well, and I did get three gorgeous children because my DNA doesn't lie about who to mate with. And so I stopped dating like that. I went over a decade. I didn't have sex. I didn't date. I just raised my kids and I got a doctorate and I was real proud of myself. Because I had figured as long as I wasn't around my drug, which was handsome, hot little fellas who need saving, that I was safe. Oh, Lord, y'all. I didn't factor that friends can be just as bad, did I? I continued to take in people I thought nobody wanted, and I continued to try to save them. I just didn't have sex with them. I just didn't marry them. You see, that kind of impulse will find a way. And it's insidious. If you've listened to my Boundaries podcast, one of the very first ones I've ever done, you'll know that I finally got to a place where I was able to cut off all of those folks that were just vampiring on me. My current husband and my last husband, a swanny on that one, used to tell me back when we were dating 11 years ago that I would leave the bar that we were hanging out at And everybody who'd been cool and sweet and nice in front of me, all sitting around me just being on their best damn behavior, acted an ass the moment I left the room. They did horrible things. They cheated. They lied. They got into fights. They started drama. But while I was there, they were just sugar. A bouncer does see a lot of things. It was very hard for me to accept. You see, I wanted to believe that I could save people the way my grandma did. I wanted to believe that I could love them enough and bring them into my life enough and give them enough energy and time with my family and vacations to our favorite island and eventually they would be saved. But that simply does not work that way. I would say who the fuck did I think I was anyway. But I'm positive I couldn't have pried them off of me with a crowbar and a $5 bill. So, shit, fire, and fall back in it, they followed me around. I won't let that happen anymore. I'm not going to let it happen with any friend. I think I still will let it happen with dogs, though. I was a rescuer for a while, and I brought in a bunch of dogs, and I got them all homes. And obviously, I'm having trouble with a tiny chicken. It's just that three-point shot thing that's driving me crazy. You see, the problem is, I am just too big of a fan of the underdog. I don't know if it's a product of how I was raised, and my grandma came in and believed in me and saved me or if it has something to do with me being an 80s teen. I mean, just go look at all those movies, am I right? And I do believe that there are people worth saving. It's just that if they won't stand and they won't eat and they won't drink on their own, you're delaying everything that's going to happen. But for those of us who are addicted to this whole process of trying to save someone, All because we've seen it happen before. Either someone we tried to save or we were saved ourselves. For us, this is a little bit harder. You see, we've seen it happen. We know it's possible. So when someone tells us, Listen, witch, you can't save everyone. A little part of our heads comes in and says, Watch me. Hold my beer. And that was me too. All the way until the day my friend sat down and told me, Okay, you can save this person. Yeah, honey, you know you have it in you. You know you will go at it and give up everything. But that's just the point, isn't it? Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Now, this person had failure to thrive. There was not a lot of growth on their own. And it was my friend's contention, who is a witch himself, that I could win at the cost of everything else. I could save this human being. Or I could save my tribe and myself and my soul and my sanity. And I had a choice. And thinking about it in that way, y'all, really slows me down. I've taught before about being a good steward of a lot of things, which I find every damn thing. I work very hard on being a good steward of my pets and my land, my tribe, my family, my home, the trees. I work very hard on being a good steward. And over and over again, I have to remind myself that I also have to be a good steward of my heart. Oh sure, it's all sacrificial and all when we go to saving somebody, but are we always being really good to ourselves in those moments, fair to ourselves, assuring that we're going to be able to take care of the things we have to take care of? Or are we giving it all up in this unsacral act for someone who's refusing to drink the water on their own, needs us to put the dropper in their mouth? At what point do we recognize that participating in something like that, being the mama tit for something like that, is blasphemy. You see, I believe that if we are attempting to witchify every damn thing about our lives, make it more magical, then we are part of that whole temple idea. We would never let somebody come along and try to chop the limbs off a beautiful oak tree. Well, at least I know I wouldn't. Then why do we allow folks to try to chop ours off just because they need something? that they won't provide for themselves. I don't know if that makes any sense, but I've been working a little bit harder on nurturing myself as a soul on this planet, as a witch on this planet, and understanding that that is critical not only to my own survival, but to the survival of those things that I have rescued and that fought for life, tried to thrive. Y'all, at the end of the day, We know, as witches, that everything we put our energy in, every spell we cast, all comes at a price. I think what I'm advocating for here is understanding that weight and accepting that price. Don't be surprised by it. To save my son, I had to lose my credit. To save this chick, I've lost two nights of sleep and I'm a little exhausted. And this podcast is not going to be that long. To save the people that I have tried to save when I went too far and I wasn't counting the cost, I lost big chunks of my life. So in the end, it's about checks and balances. It's looking at the ledger, and I hate to be that way, but this old witch now looks exactly at what the payment will be. And if saving someone who does not mean the moon and the stars to you means a little, maybe even means a lot, but not your whole life, if saving that human being means you're going to lose everything, at least I think we should accept that. We are witches. What is our personal sacrifice? How far are we willing to go? Okay, well, I am so sorry, y'all, that this is going to be short today. It was this or nothing, and I have to go hurry and prepare for a deep freeze. So I reckon this is going to be the very shortest one I've ever done. I love y'all. I know y'all are used to me at this point, knowing that winter is hell for me. Hang in there, y'all. I'm a riot when it comes to spring. Y'all have been listening to the Southern Fried Witch Podcast. Come back around next week for a little bit more magic from the Deep South.